But here's the thing, I can imagine what that will be like. Because God has given a gift to his church, and that church, that gift is called marriage. And with that gift, we are able to see the kind of love with which Christ loved us. God has given that gift to his church, and God has given that gift specifically to me. I'm a married man. And I still know what I feel when I look at my wife. She still makes my heart sing. What a gift marriage is. What a gift to be able to give ourselves for another. But I am talking about Christ and his church. about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. Our sermon text for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. For many people, the Apostle Paul is a trusted and wise and inspired biblical writer until this chapter. He's trustworthy, he's faithful, he's useful, he's insightful, he's profound until he starts talking about marriage. For many people, this is where Paul goes off the rails. The teaching is clear, right? The teaching is clear that that husbands and wives should have an interdependent, 
and complementary relationship with one another. The teaching is clear for, for Ephesian wives to submit to their husbands and respect them in everything. And the teaching is clear for Ephesian husbands to give themselves for their wives in everything, just like Christ gave himself for the church. The teaching is clear. The teaching is often shocking. When a couple wants to get married inside a church, often what will happen is the pastor will take them through something called premarital counseling. And in that premarital counseling, a pastor will often take the couple through this teaching. And I've talked to the pastors that, that do these kinds of things, and I've heard from them that when you get to this lesson, a knot starts to form in your stomach just thinking, how is this couple going to react? In fact, I called up my, my supervising pastor, um, the guy who supervised me as I was learning how to be a pastor um, in Falls Church, Virginia, just out of Washington, D.C., and this is what he said. He said, I wish I could have so much more time to teach people what this actually means, to teach husbands that they are to, to love their wives just like Jesus loved the church and to take all the time in the world to talk both of them through what it actually means for the husband and wife to give themselves up for each other. But I don't often get that opportunity anymore. Because what most often happens when I teach this is that people walk away. I'll be honest, the knot was in my stomach almost all week. The knot is in my stomach today, even as I stand before you. I was tempted all week to take the easy way out. And I'll tell you, most pastors, most churches do take the easy way out. I've actually got proof for this one. Um, there's something in Christianity called the lectionary. It's the schedule of readings that over the course of three years will take you through the entire Bible. And still today, most of Christianity follows the lectionary for the most part. And so many, many churches have been reading through the book of Ephesians with us this summer. And, and we're actually one week behind the lectionary. And so most churches were doing this text last week. And so I got the chance to see what churches were doing with this text. And as I looked around, I saw that most churches skipped this text. Jumped right over it, put something else in place of the lectionary. The Apostle Paul is off the rails. This is too shocking. This is too much. And I had all my reasons in place this whole week, all my reasons why it would be justified for me to skip this text too. Because we're supposed to be a mission church, right? And our, and our message is supposed to be welcoming. And I was telling myself, how is this text welcoming? And you know, wouldn't it be better to talk about this kind of thing in a one-on-one -on -one context, and if I'm going to do it in the context of a sermon, wouldn't it be better to wait two or three years until people are more ready to hear this? 
I had all my reasons why I should skip this text going in my head, and I was actually just about this close to actually doing it. I had the sermon half written, and then I actually deleted the whole thing because I was convinced I needed to skip it and move on to the next text. kept asking myself, why is this text so intimidating to preach on? I actually googled that question, and I asked my older brothers about that question, why is this text so intimidating to preach on? One of the big answers that came back is that often people will say, and often rightly justified, that this text is used to enable the abuse in Christian households. Christian husbands will say, you're supposed to submit to me in everything, so you better do what I say. If that's your understanding of what it means to submit, you have grossly misunderstood the cross. The Apostle Paul is not trying to cover up for abuse. He is not trying to enable abuse. The Apostle Paul would be the first person to say, and by the way, I'd be the second person to say, if you are in an abusive relationship, you must get out. You are God's child, and you must get out. Abuse is sin, abuse is wrong, and this text is not meant to enable that. A second reason why this text feels so intimidating to preach on is that it's, a, it's an attack on people's view of themselves and on people's view of marriage. You see, this text commands us to give ourselves up for the other. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he's often a very wise and profound and insightful cultural commentator. And he's talked about these things before. He said, this text is a lot less of an attack on people's personal safety. It is a lot more of an attack on people's view of marriage. You can see how this is true, right? It's it's usually not a thought that we have in the forefront of our minds going into marriage that marriage is going to make me happier, but it is an underlying current for people's understanding of marriage. That if I add another person to the relationship I have with myself, I am going to be happier. And it is going to be easier for me to pursue my desires and ambitions and my own personal happiness. You know, I want the house, I want the kids, I want all the stuff, and marriage makes that easier. That's why whenever you go to a wedding reception, you'll hear the bride and the groom stand up and they'll give their wedding toasts to their their spouse. And you'll hear them talk about the ways that that their spouse does things to make them love them. It's about personal edification. It's about personal flourishing. And this text is an absolute threat to that view of marriage. 
Because the Apostle Paul says that you must give yourself up for your spouse. You must give yourself up for your spouse just like Christ gave himself up for the church. How did Christ give himself up for the church? He died for her. I had a seminary professor who talked about it this way, and I've kind of, it's kind of stuck with me. I like the way that he talked about it. He talked about marriage, that you can look at it like a competition, where in a Christian marriage, both spouses are in a competition with each other to see who can give themselves up, who can make a sacrifice for the other faster. And I'll ask you to think about this for yourselves Who wants a marriage like that? Be honest with yourself. Do you want a marriage like that? Where you are giving of yourself every single time. Where you are making the sacrifice every single time. Where you are giving of your life completely without any expectation of receiving anything in return because that's what the Apostle Paul says marriage is. It's a sacrifice. Who wants a marriage like that? Maybe no one. Only Christ. I'll give you kind of a real-world illustration of that fact. I have this friend uh, that I made. Uh, he was probably one of the first friends that I made since coming to Oregon. Uh, we've spent a lot of time together. I've served him with the Word of God. And probably about a month and a half ago, I got this text from him one morning. And the text told me that he had woken up and found divorce papers on the table downstairs. And the stated reason for the divorce is that his wife wanted to be a part of the destabilization of the oppression of marriage. And when I heard that news, I was absolutely rocked to the core. And ever since then, I've had this question in my mind, thinking about this for people, is she right Is she right that a marriage is oppressive? That coming back to the same person every single day is oppressive? That, share, that dealing with somebody else's problems in, in it, addition to your own problems is oppressive? That being locked together with somebody else's life is oppressive? Is she right? And the answer that I've been forced to come to grips with is that if your life is about pursuing your own personal goals and your personal desires and satisfactions, yes, she is absolutely right. Marriage is undeniably oppressive if that's what life is like. And so we need a new meaning for marriage. That's what this text gives us. Have you noticed this? That this text is at the same time all about marriage and also not at all about marriage. 
It talks about marriage, it talks about husbands and wives, but it also tells us that this is not at all about marriage. This is about Christ and the church. This is about you and God. This is about the connection between the church and Christ because nothing is disconnected from Christ, including marriage. Paul knew the gospel. You know the gospel, I know the gospel. We know this about Christ, that he did something for us. And what he did is he submitted. I use that word that is the word that makes us chafe in this text. Christ submitted. He submitted to his Father. He submitted to his Father's will. And get this, he submitted to our salvation. He submitted to being under our sins, to carrying our sins, to carrying our rebelliousness to the cross. Christ submitted to that punishment. He submitted to that injustice for our sake. And you know why he did it. This text spells it out so beautifully for us. Why did Christ submit? Because he wanted to present you to himself and to his Father as a beautiful, spotless, sinless, perfect bride. No wrinkles, no shames, no blemishes, just perfection. Christ submitted himself to our sins to make us his church, his bride in heaven. I only got to meet my grandpa Monti uh, a few times, really. He and his wife cared for a farm in upstate New York. It was a dairy farm, and so he and his wife were not able to get off the farm for more than a few days at a time. I was still a really little boy when we found out that my grandma was dying of cancer. Her body was just covered with it from head to toe. Jesus was taking her home, and that was good. So my family flew out to the East Coast to be with our family and to be there for the funeral. And one of the beautiful stories that was passed around in our family was that my grandpa Monti, the day before my grandma died, was heard telling her that she was still as beautiful to him on that day as she was on the day that they were married. After decades of working the farm, after old age had put a painful hump in her back, after raising and, and caring for five kids, he couldn't see her any other way besides being a beautiful bride. Just like Christ sees you. Just like Christ loves you. Let's be clear about this. Christ, Paul, Paul is not going off the rails here. What he's doing is he's giving us a reminder that marriage is nothing more and nothing less than a foggy picture of the love that Christ 
gives to us. And it is a picture of how Christ gave himself up for us. In marriage, we get to live like Christ lived for us. I want to be clear about this now, that that this text does not mean that every Christian needs to be married. Of course, that's not true. Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. And the church has always, always respected and honored single, celibate people, and this church will do the same. What this text does mean, though, is that there are encouragements for husbands and wives. Husbands, Christian husbands, give yourselves up for your wives. They're more important than you. They're worth it. They are so worth it that God himself gave himself up for that woman that you are married to. You give yourself up for her in everything. Christian wives, let your husband see you respect him in everything. And to you who are single, uh, whether you are a widow or a widower or a Christian divorcee, remember that Christian marriage is not the ultimate reality of relationship in Christ. Remember that you have the ultimate reality of relationship in Christ. You are part of his church, the church for which Christ submitted himself to present you to himself as a beautiful bride, not as a bride for a flawed life here on earth, but for a perfect forever in heaven. The wedding is still on. I want to leave you with this image this morning of marriage. Can you see in your mind's eye, can you understand in your heart what it's going to be like for Jesus when he sees you, when he sees us, his church, for the first time when he comes back? I can only imagine what that will be like. But here's the thing, I can imagine what that will be like. Because God has given a gift to his church, and that church, that gift is called marriage. And with that gift, we are able to see the kind of love with which Christ loved us. God has given that gift to his church, and God has given that gift specifically to me. I am a married man. And I still know what I feel when I look at my wife. She still makes my heart sing. What a gift marriage is. What a gift to be able to give ourselves for another. But I am talking about Christ and His church.